Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Monday, October 12th, 2020. This is Shannon, and I am here with Sarah, Natalia, and Stacy, and we are talking about creepy books today, books to get you in the mood for Halloween. So whether those are horror novels or some post-apocalyptic fabulousness or some creepy thrillers, we have you covered. (laughs) So... We will start out, of course, with the always essential housekeeping information. And then Stacy will start us off. Then I will go. Then Sarah. And last but not least, of course, we will have Natalia. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So, Stacy, whenever you are ready. I do not have words adequate to tell you how excited I am that not only could I talk about The Hollow Places by T. Kingfisher for October picks, but that we are recording late enough in the month that I can also talk about it for creepy reads. <laughs> I'm so excited. I love this book so much. So, again, it is The Hollow Places by T. Kingfisher. And it is about Kara, and Kara is going through a bit of a rough patch in her life. She and her husband have decided to divorce as friends, very amicably, as friends. And once the divorce has been finalized, Kara kind of leaves their marital home and decides, because she cannot, for love or money, live with her mother, she decides that she will go live with her uncle who lives in this museum of oddities. And so she's there in this museum and they're sort of floating through their days in this very small town that I'm blanking on the name. And she befriends the barista at the coffee shop next door. And it's just sort of like this lovely time where she's sort of getting back on her feet, reading some good fan fiction and, kind of doing some um, uh, freelance writing. And, you know, she's just sort of like trying to get her life together. But her uncle, her poor, poor uncle, has pain in his back and pain in his knees and gets to a point in his life where he can no longer really move about comfortably and has to go and have surgery, which leaves Kara in the Museum of Oddities on her own. Well, this is fine with Kara because she 
really values her uncle and all of his strange and wonderful treasures. And she is fine to watch over them in his absence. Well, a few days after he leaves, she goes upstairs at the end of the day after closing time and discovers that there is this little hole in the wall by one of her, uh, by one of her uncle's exhibits. And she's like, oh, dang it. So she starts, she decides what she's going to do is sort of like, um, you know, figure out like what this hole is going to be like so she can, you know, patch it adequately. And as she leans into the hole with her, her phone and her phone camera and flashlight on, she realizes that on the other side of this hole is not like just wallboard and insulation, but is a hallway that is like leading off into this building. And she's like, what, how can this be? I didn't think the walls were thick enough. And so she has her barista friend come to and they go, they start kind of cutting open this hole in this wall to do some exploring. (laughs) And they discover this bunker, all concrete. And it's too big to be within the walls of the building between the coffee shop and the Museum of Oddities. And from this bunker, they step into a very odd and murderous place where everything sort of feels like, to me, it kind of reminded me of like the upside down in Stranger Things. Things just were not what they should be. And after a very terrifying, traumatizing time in the other world, they are able to get back through the bunker back into the Museum of Oddities. Now, they tried to put this whole experience behind them because it was quite odd. It was terrifying, and they're just so glad that they were able to make it back. But something from the other world has followed them back and wants to be reunited with the world from whence it came. And so many creepy things begin happening in the Museum of Oddities, including, but not limited to, the taxidermied animals coming to jerky life. Whoa. And that's all I will say about The Hollow Places by T. Kingfisher. But if you want sort of like a trippy, strange, kind of freaky, wonderful read, I encourage you to pick up The Hollow Places by T. Kingfisher. Wow. Right? Yeah. (laughs) It was good. It's a good good adventure story. It has um, some creepy elements. Well... I also have a trippy, surreal, kind of fever dream of a book to talk about tonight. So this is My Best Friend's Exorcism by (laughs) Grady Hendrix. And this is a book that I wasn't originally planning to talk about for this episode, but I read it and it was just so delightfully creepy and weird that I I had to kind of swap out a few of my picks and uh, make this work. So this is a book that is set in Charleston, South Carolina in 1988. And I loved this about it because it felt so firmly rooted in the 80s. Like it took me back to my childhood and like the days when like roller skating at birthday parties was super popular and all the like weirdly delicious snack food we had in the 80s. And the chapter titles are names of songs that were popular in the 80s. Oh, my gosh. It had this, like, very high nostalgia factor for me. But it's the story of two girls, Abby and Gretchen, who are best friends. 
And Gretchen is pretty wealthy. Um, her family lives in this really big house, kind of on the like nicer side of Charleston. And Abby is poor, for lack of a better word. Um, her father does a series of odd jobs, sometimes like fixing lawnmowers. Um, her mom is a healthcare aide. And so they just don't have a lot of money. They live in kind of a rundown home. But Abby is on a scholarship at this really elite academy in Charleston. And so she becomes good friends with Gretchen. And one night they are hanging out at the house of a classmate and they decide that they're going to go skinny dipping in this pond. No. Yeah. Well, so they, they decide this and Gretchen is the first person to jump into the pond. And then she just like is gone. They don't know where she is. She just doesn't appear again. No, and they're thinking like, did she go under the water? Like, did she sink? But they, they see like no sign of her in the pond. And so they begin combing the woods for her. And finally, the next morning, they find her and she's all like muddy and her hair is like all tangled up with like twigs and leaves. And no one really knows what happened to her. And she won't really talk about what happened during this night in the woods by herself. But then she begins acting very strangely and she's kind of moody and she starts like telling lies to deliberately get Abby and some of their other friends in trouble. And people are just really mystified by this. And Abby does some research and she discovers what she thinks the answer is to this problem with Gretchen, which is of course demon possession. (laughs) And that is all. I'm going to say, because I I don't want to tell you anything else about the demons or, you know, whether they're real or how or if they leave. Um, But it is just like this delightfully quirky, very scary and yet charming piece of literature that I'm really glad I discovered this came out in 2016. And it was just everything that I wanted for an episode like this. So this is My Best Friend's Exorcism, and it is by Grady Hendrix, and I loved it a lot. So Grady Hendrix is on my TBR anyway for the the Southern Book Club Vampire Slayer. (laughs) Yeah, the Uh, Southern Book Club Guide to Slaying Vampires. Yeah, and so that's how I recognize the name, but this sounds just as good, but I'm afraid I'm going to need to turn the lights on this one sounds like it's going to get really creepy really quick <laughs> it, it definitely uh has its its creep factor so why don't we talk about what life would be like if there was an electro electromagnetic pulse and you were alone in the middle of the michigan woods would that be scary um... Yes. yes. Yes, I believe it would. During a major, major blizzard. Yeah. Oh. So let's talk about Edge of Collapse by Kyla Stone. It's the first book in her Edge of series. And when I discovered this author, well, Stacy told me about her, but I read her before Stacy did for once. And um, when I discovered her, I looked at this book and it sounded terrifying. So it's about a young woman named Hannah Sheridan. And 
when the world basically stops and cars stop working and everything screeches to a halt, it's like the worst day of, of life for most people. But for Hannah Sheridan, it's the best day because she's been trapped in a serial killer's basement locked in and the blocks are all like controlled by like his computer. Oh, and she has not been able to escape for like four years. And all that has kept her sane for these four years of pretty awful abuse is the knowledge that she wants to get home to her husband, Noah and their son. So one, when this happens and the locks break free, she thinks that she is like imagining things, but she is able to creep out of the basement and upstairs into the house where she's never seen. And she's able to realize that, oh my God, like it's, I can be free. So here's the thing. The killer is in another city and usually he can keep track of her like watching like from his phone he has like cameras so when this happens he knows he needs to get back to that cabin the hunting cabin in the woods where he's kept her because she could get away so hannah frantically packs a backpack full of stuff and it's very scary for her. You know, she's been very abused, very bad. Um, the other thing that people need to know is that she is very pregnant. She doesn't know how pregnant she is because she really doesn't want to acknowledge it because of how it happened. But she's very pregnant. She's alone in the snow. And on her way out of this house, she finds a large dog chained in a shed right by the back door. And the dog is very malnourished and not well cared for. And she's terrified because she's had like an awful four years, but she lets the dog go. And the dog um, is like a huge part of the series. And I love him. I wish he could be my dog. Um, so the dog starts to follow her and the dog starts to kind of protect her. And Hannah is trying to make it through these woods to get all the way from this hunting cabin that she doesn't really know where she's at down to where, to the town where her husband is um, a police officer and she's trying to get home. But it's really hard because there's like, you know, a major blizzard going on and she can't be on the roads because she's afraid the killer is going to spot her. And so she's kind of wandering through the snow and um, her parents had taught her some survival techniques, like back in the day when they were little, like for fun, they'd go camping and stuff. But She's forgotten a lot of it, and she's also very pregnant, and she's also very malnourished and and very abused. She also can't use her hands very well. She Her hands have been very abused. So she kind of falls into the snow at one point, and a man finds her, and this man's name is Liam, and he is like a ex-army ranger type of guy. And at first, he's going to leave her because she seems pretty um, – out of her head and she keeps telling him to get away from her and he's kind of like well why would I bother helping her she's whatever but he can't stop thinking about her he goes back and and gets her and saves her basically and then they begin on their trek together towards home but a lot of things happen along the way and they do not um 
it is not an easy path for the killer has caught sight of her and he is stalking oh. her. Oh my God. During this like post-apocalyptic world, um, it's actually her writing is phenomenal. She just makes it so creepy and you just want to like be with Hannah and help her. And uh, let's just say um, Liam isn't too bad to read about either. Um, yes. Her books have like a touch of romance. There's definitely romance, but it's not. Um, I wouldn't say that's the main element of her books, but if you want to read a really, really creepy book where people wander around in the woods and electricity is no longer there and there's an awful blizzard, you really should pick up edge of collapse. It's the first in the edge of series by Kyla stone. It's amazing. You got me. I, this is the book I'm going to read yeah. next. So what if you could get away with murder? Oh gosh. Would you do it? No, no maybe. <gasps> Shoot. <laughs> what? <laughs> I think that perhaps in this book it's a very important topic this book is the first book I read by this author it's called The Walls by Holly Overton so this book is about single mom Christy Tucker she works as get this a press agent for the Texas Department of Corrections specifically for inmates that are on death row. So she does everything there. She, she does the interviews for the inmates. She chronicles their last moments during their execution, basically mm. so that they won't be forgotten. Um, you know, and it, it's a really hard job. I, I'm not sure that they could pay me enough to do this job. I mean, it exposes her to the worst that humanity has to offer. And um, at this, where our story starts, it's beginning to really take its toll on her. She's, she's, seriously considering uh trying to do something else but then she meets lance dobson and he's her son's martial arts instructor and what can i say it's love at first sight her whole life changes um you know she she marries this guy um you know her son gets along really well with him her father her whole family he's Everything she possibly could have never dreamed of that she would have in a mom, I mean, a man, I'm sorry, not mom, in a man. Because, I mean, you know, she's a single mom. She's already, she had a bad experience with her ex and she's, she's pretty jaded and not even thinking about looking for love at this point. She just wants a job that isn't going to suck all her emotions out of her every single day. So she thinks she got her happy ending. She was wrong. Oh, yeah. Christy oh, soon no. discovers that Lance is a monster. Um, and she must endure her phys- his physical and verbal abuse in secret unless she's willing to take matters into her own hands rather than serve her personal life sentence. Oh, my. Oh. So perfectly poised to exploit the criminal justice system she knows so well because she works for them, she works on making a plan to silence Lance permanently yeah so will she do it will she get away with it i guess she'll have to read the book the walls is a book that explores you know domestic life how far a woman will go to save the her life and her family's life and the morality of murder 
and is there morality of murder in murder? So this is The Walls by Holly Overton. And, and, and I'm telling you, this book is creepy. I wish they would make this book a movie. It's just so good. Oh, my gosh. This, I think, is her best book. I really have loved everything she's written. But this one, I think, is the best. So I love creepy books. Like, it's like one of my favorite episodes we do every year. And I spend a lot of time, you can ask Shannon, like agonizing over like, (laughs) what am I going to talk about? (laughs) What am I going to read? And I spend like weeks and weeks preparing for this episode. And I want to always like talk about these books in the best way that I can. And so I read a ton of books. I read uh, Jennifer McMahon. I read a couple. Awesome. I know. I read The Winter People. It was really good. I read a couple um, classic Barbara Michaels gothics and they just weren't scary, but I loved them, but they weren't scary. Um, And I was really trying to figure out, like, I I like to do like a mix of things. So the next book on my creepometer scale, like it's, it's very atmospheric. Um, I don't feel like a blind girl that has to turn the lights on at night when I'm reading it. So if that kind of tells you, it's not at that level, but it is the widow of Rose house by Diana Biller. And this book is sort of historical romance meets Gothic meets mystery, all sort of rolled up into one wonderful package. And it is about a widow and her name is Alva. And she has had this very sorted past. Um, She did something it's 1875. She's returning to the United States for the first time in years and she's returning to New York and her husband has died and she is a widow. And she did something that um, women of the time rarely did. She left her husband. And within weeks of her leaving her husband, all these very salacious stories about her began appearing in the papers all over Europe about all of her exploits and all of the very, you know, um, risque things that she was doing with men um, all over the place. Well, then her husband died and now she's returning to the U S for the first time in years. And she's purchased an old house. And even though I've read this book, I still cannot pronounce the name of the house. I'm sorry. So she purchased this old um, sort of dilapidated mansion that she used to walk past when she was um, with her family um, summering away from New York city. And she's always been very drawn to this house. She feels like it's just as sad and lonely as she is. So she buys it and her, her plan is that she's going to fix it up and she's going to write a book about how to decorate a home, but it's not going to be for the society ladies. No, it's going to be for the middle-class ladies who are going to be able to, you know, take her ideas and her tips and actually set up a house that they can afford. And so as she's going to kind of go through the steps of this renovation, she's going to write about it. Well, the problem is one day, her entire crew, construction crew, renovation crew, walks away from the house. Like midday, leaves their tools, leaves their open lunch boxes, like everything, and just leaves. And refuses to come back. Bye-bye. And she doesn't know why, so she goes and she tracks down the foreman. And come to find out, there was all this experience. Each of them experienced some sort of ghostly visit. And they were so petrified they had to leave. Oh, Well, who else is interested in this is a scientist named Sam. And Sam is a ray of sunshine to our widow's sort of dark and jaded soul. 
And Sam is so fascinated by this ghost and by the haunting because he's a scientist. He wants to learn everything about everything. He watches someone put on a shoe one day and says, how can I make this more efficient for you? He watches a maid <laughs> carry a tea tray one day and says, how can I make this more efficient for you so it's not so heavy and the teapot won't slide off? You know, he's that kind of guy. He's very sort of like a professor, uh, sort of absent-minded professor, and he's just lovely. And so he is able to get into our wonderful widow's great good graces, and together they go on um, this mystery-solving thing to see if they can figure out who is haunting the house and why. The story is part romance. It's part amazing historical look at like 1875 New York city, upper crust society. And it's part mystery about who is haunting this house. So again, I would not call this like your spookiest read. Um, I can read it at any time of the day or night without feeling, you know, super shivery, but I do like all of the elements of it. And it definitely has this great atmospheric, like right now it's pouring down rain outside my house. It's like the perfect night to read this type of book. So this again is the Widow of Rose House by Diana Biller. This has been on my list for quite a while. It's pretty lovely. It's a lot about um, this woman kind of rediscovering herself um, after years of misery and learning how to step out on her own. And, and it's just, I don't know, there's a lot of good character growth in it. Can we talk about mushrooms now? I mean, that's a fascinating segue, but sure. I, I really feel like we have to talk about mushrooms. And not just any mushrooms, but mushrooms that existed in Mexico in the 1950s. So, this is Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. And this is a kind of historical gothic mystery with a little bit of romance running through it. So this is the story of Noemi, and she is a socialite. She lives in Mexico City with her father, and she just goes out to all these parties. She has, like, the best clothes, and her friends are all, like, society's, like, upper crust. And her life is pretty great. But one night, she is called home from a party by her father, who tells her that she needs to go to the countryside to visit her cousin, Catalina, who has recently made this really auspicious marriage. But Catalina has sent a letter to Noemi's father, and something in this letter just doesn't seem quite right. She talks about how she's feeling sick and no one really knows what's wrong with her and she's very afraid and like something about her husband isn't sort of the man that she thought that he was and she doesn't know what to do. So he wants Noemi to go to the country and visit her and try to figure out like what's going on. So Noemi doesn't want to do this. Like she's not any kind of investigator or like heroine. You know, she just wants to be a party girl. But her father basically tells her she has no choice. She has to go. And so she does. And she journeys to this very fancy but rundown mansion in which there are all sorts of rules. Like, you aren't allowed to talk at dinner. And you're not supposed to go into certain parts of the house. 
And you should never bother the patriarch unless he like basically summons you. And Noemi doesn't really enjoy all these rules. Like she's just never been the kind of person who just obeys things for no reason. She just feels like rules were made to be broken. And this is not her idea of a good time. But as she's there longer and as she's more and more unable to understand what is really going on with Catalina, who seems sick in like a really weird way, she says that she has tuberculosis, but her symptoms don't seem to line up with what Noemi knows about tuberculosis. And so she tries to get these like outside doctors to come and look at Catalina and nobody will. And they say like, if you live in this house, you can only use this one doctor. There's just all kinds of like very rigid traditions that are built around this house and this family. And basically all Noemi wants to do now is figure out the truth and head home. But she can't because if she does, she's abandoning her cousin to some sort of really creepy fate that she doesn't really understand. And so the more she tries to uncover the truth, the harder people, or maybe not people, maybe the house, maybe a spirit in the house, no one really knows, fight against her to keep her from understanding the truth. And I did reference mushrooms in the beginning of this, um, and I can't tell you why, but mushrooms do play a very creepy part in this story, and I will never, ever look at mushrooms the same way again. Fortunately, I never liked them to begin with, so now this just sort of solidifies my great distaste for mushrooms. So this is Mexican Gothic. It is such a creepy, atmospheric read. I love the setting. I loved watching Noemi turn from this sort of vapid party girl into somebody who is smart and resourceful and confident. Um, it's just a really great read. And Sylvia Moreno-Garcia has written several books that are on my list of things to read now. Um, Untamed Shore, which is a thriller, and Gods of Jade and Shadow, which is a fantasy. Um, I'm just really excited to see what else she has come up with. So again, it's Mexican Gothic by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. You know, this author has been on my kind of radar for a long time. Um, and now that I know someone who's actually read something she's written, it makes me even more interested in kind of learning more about what she has to say. This is super she's interesting. Great. Yeah, it's very, very good. So I don't know necessarily if this book will be for everyone just on the basis of 2020 being what it is and COVID um, this book was written well before COVID, I would just like to say, but it does have a type of pandemic feel to it. It is called After the Ending, and it's by Lindsay Fairley and Lindsay Pogue. And it is about what happens when most of the world comes down with this awful flu type thing. And um, it was quite traumatizing because there was a lot of description of the flu and yes, yes, how, yes, and how someone felt while they had the flu and they're vomiting and, oh my oh. God, yes, I was quite traumatized because I don't like talking about vomit. However, 
what happens is most of the world who contracts this flu, they, they die. They don't make it. But for the people who actually do make it through, um, they learn not right away. It takes time that they may have special gifts that they didn't have prior to having the flu. So this book is the story of two best friends, Danny and Zoe, and they live across the country from each other, but they grew up in the same town in California and Zoe and her brother and her brother were raised by their dad and um, their, their mom died in an accident when they were young. And Danny was raised by her grandmother because her mom um, passed away. So um, Danny and Zoe have been friends since childhood. And so when this crazy flu outbreak starts happening, they start emailing each other and texting each other talking about like how bad it is and what's going on, like in their areas of the country. And they decide as this flu gets worse and people they know begin to die that they are going to meet somewhere. They're going to get to each other. And so um, I'm leaving parts of it out because I can't tell you too much without you um, getting too much of the plot without reading it. But they, um, they are, they both have to take road trips across the country to meet up in Colorado. This is where they're going to go. And it starts off very angsty and very like new adulty. So like there are all these angsty drama, drama things that happen. And you're like, why is this happening? Do I really want to read this? And it all happens for a reason. So you really, really have to get past the angst of the book because you're going to learn that some people become like empaths. They can feel what others are feeling all around them. Some people can start to predict the future. Some people know that something bad is coming, but they can't really tell you what it is because most of these people don't have gifts or have never had gifts before this awful hellacious flu. And then there are a group of people who may have gotten some type of talent, but it, the flu affected them in a different way. And I, I, to be honest, don't like that they're called this, but they're called this in the book. They're called the crazies and they're very violent and um, very disoriented. And they're not really quite with what's going on. So Danny and Zoe are trying to navigate across this crazy new world to get to each other. And they have to both go, um, you know, experience many distressing and crazy and interesting things along the way before their paths hopefully meet the um, book, the book, I'd say the first one just kind of gives you a taste. It starts to build the world. It kind of gets all the main characters introduced. Every book after that gets better and better and better and better. And the writing is just beautiful. You would never know that two authors wrote this book together, wrote this series together. 
Um, I, I really wish I could give you more information about these books, but there's so much plot that I can't talk about or would give things away and things you don't know in the first book that you learn in subsequent books. But it really is a, a wonderful series. It's called After the Ending by Lindsay Fairley and Lindsay Pogue. And if you're like me and hate like young adult or new adult angsty stuff, do what I did and give it a chance because after the first book, the angst is gone. It's not even a, it's not even a factor in the rest of the books. It has to be for part of the story, but give it a chance. So do what Sarah did, not as Stacy did. Um, <laughs> I got so annoyed with all the, oh, I think he's hot and I'm going to be in this winery with my bottle of wine and I'm going to just be like, oh, he's so hot, but he's flirting with that other girl and I couldn't get past it. But Sarah is more intrepid than I and was able to continue. And now um, she's talked it up so much that it's back on my TBR. So I'm really excited to read it. So since we're talking about creepy houses, well, we were anyway, because I know a lot of us are fans of the original uh, Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. Yes, Yes. we are. I know I am. And when I was younger and I hadn't read Rebecca, Bluebeard. Just anything that has to do with like a creepy house where there's a story is my catnip when we're talking about creepy books. So the next book I'm going to talk about is by the marvelous master of creepy, Wendy Webb. I love her. This book is The Fate of Mercy Albin. I hope I said that right, Lord. I think you did. You did. And this book is about a house, as I was saying before. It's it's a house that's big and old and set on Lake Superior. I feel like it's Stacy's kind of house. It is <laughs> my kind of house. Just not, you know, not with the goal where she lives. But it's no, kind of, you know, it's not where she lives, but it's just the kind of house that she would like. Big old gothic, like Victorian, big old gothic Victorian. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 It is so him. So this book is about Grace Alban, who has spent um, 20 years away from her childhood house. The house is like so old it even has a name and everything. Uh, it's called the Stately Alban House. Imagine. And we don't really know. <laughs> when, we, when we come into the story, we don't know why. Um, because, you know, there are reasons that she wants to forget about. The reasons why she hasn't gone to her house in 20 years. But her mother's unexpected death bring her and her teenage daughter home as things always do and you know when she comes home she's got a bunch of personal demons and a bunch of things that we learn about through the course of the novel that i will not spoil but it seems like the house is more haunted in the halls and mysterious passageways um than anything that she might be carrying as baggage um and then she finds a whole packet of old love letters and a manuscript that was never published that is obviously from someone in her family. Um, but her family is not talking. Um, these are secrets long buried that nobody wants to reveal. So, you know, she gets into this mystery that's decades old about a party that happened in the house where, you know, her aunt ended up disappearing, an author took his own life, and nobody knows why, and nobody wants to say why. And so she realizes that her secret, the secrets are tangled and twisted with the house. And it seems like her mother was intending to tell the truth to a reporter about what happened, and that same day, she died. 
Was it murder? Was it a curse? So with the help of this reverend uh, named Matthew Parker, she is going to unravel this mystery and hopefully she unravels it before it becomes too late and she and her daughter are the next victims of this thing that could be a curse, could be a person trying to cover themselves. I guess we'll never know unless you read The Fate of Mercy Alban by Wendy Webb. This Wendy book. Webb so, is the master of terrifying. Oh my and God, I know. Her ghost stories, like she knows how to tell a story and she builds it just quickly enough where you don't get bored in the beginning. She lays the foundation and then it's like, oh, sweet Jesus, what did I just read? And then you run up even when you're blind and you run over and turn the lights on, even though it's like dusk outside because you know that if you keep the shadows in the corners of your house, something's yeah. going to grab you. I mean, she is, she's amazing. Her books yeah, are terrifying. She, she makes you feel safe. And then you're not like <laughs> no. literally takes the whole world out from under your feet. And you're like, ah. so I love books about haunted buildings. Um, and when written well, and when done well, you think about them days after they're done. That's how, for me, that's how I classify a truly creepy book. If I have to wait right. for my, if I have to make sure my husband has gone upstairs and turned the lights on, um, that's how I know. I'm reading a really creepy book and the sundown motel by Simone St. James gave me that vibe. And this book is about Carly and she's a young woman whose mother has recently passed away. And Carly wants to solve a decades old mystery, which is whatever happened to her aunt Viv um, who just vanished one summer, one year back in 1982 to be precise and it's been 35 years since she has uh, disappeared. And it, it hurt her mother deeply to never know what happened to her sister Viv. And so Carly decides that she's going to go to this small town in New York called Fell. And she's going to try to solve what happened to her Aunt Viv. The last known job that Viv carried was at the Sundown Motel. So Carly decides she's going to go do some poking around. And to her great surprise, there is a listing for a night clerk at the Sundown Motel. And so our intrepid heroine decides that she is going to go and take this position so that she can try to, to take her aunt's last few steps that she might have taken back in 1982. Rewind back to 1982, and Viv has decided She's hitchhiking and she stops and fell because she's feeling creepy in this man's truck and she doesn't really want to be in the truck anymore. So she gets out in Fell, New York, and she decides she's going to work at this hotel or this motel called the Sundown Motel to earn money so she can go to New York City and fulfill her dreams. And so she begins to work at the Sundown and things there just feel a little off to Viv. Doors slam. You know, there are, there are people there that just seem not quite right. The ice machine has problems. Ooh. And the more and more that she kind of digs into this mystery of the sundown and like what is causing all of this, she learns more about the past of the building and of the property that kind of helps her to understand what she has to do to hopefully lay to rest the ghosts of the sundown. 
35 years later, Carly, her niece, is still trying to solve the mystery of the sundown and the mystery of what happened to Viv on her last night as she was a night clerk at the sundown. And to help her in this is an enigmatic man who has a shadowy past and not the best reputation, who is staying at the sundown to kind of help watch over the premises after dark. And as Carly begins to trace the footsteps of her Aunt Viv, similar things begin to happen throughout the sundown at night. And we have to figure out, did Carly and, or I'm sorry, did Viv and will Carly solve the mystery of the sundown before it is too late for both of them? And that, my friends, is The Sundown Motel by Simone St. James, who, in my opinion, is the queen of the ghostly, terrifying novel. Um, And this is her most recent release. It came out earlier this year. And I want to say I read it right at the beginning of the pandemic. And it was so riveting that I forgot everything for a while. And I love this book so much. So pick it up and read it. And I think, Natalia, you have read it, right? I did read it. I did read it as soon as it came out. And I... Loved it so, so much. So last round, I asked if we could talk about mushrooms. <laughs> now I have to ask if we can talk about tapeworms. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> but we must. No, we no. Must. Because I'm going to join Sarah in a bit of post-apocalyptic, or I guess technically kind of apocalyptic, um, fabulousness oh my god i as soon as you said tapeworms i knew what you're going to talk about i'm so excited (laughs) and we are going to talk about the parasitology trilogy by mira grant this starts with parasite and this book really creeped me out pretty much from the start because it talks so much about these tapeworms that have been implanted in people's bodies And the idea is that these tapeworms can basically keep you from getting sick. They give your immune system this giant boost. They can like release drugs into your system, kind of these designer drugs that don't exist in real life, but exist in Mira Grant's mind. And (laughs) they can basically just like revolutionize the whole like medical field. So this book is set, I would say, 10 to 15 years ahead of where we are now. It was originally published in 2013, and I think it's like close to 2025. Yeah, it's like 2025, 2030, something like that. So it's not too far ahead of where we are now. And basically, no one is sick. Like, there's no flu, there's no cancer, there's no nothing. And this is all due to this tapeworm that was created by a company called Symbogen. And now most of the world's residents have one of these worms implanted in their bodies. But the tapeworms are getting restless. And they want more than just to live kind of in the shadows of someone's body and they want lives of their own and they want choices in what happens to them. Not sure like how a worm can want all these things, but these do. 
So we follow a young woman named Sal, and Sal was very, very badly injured in a car accident like several years before our story starts. And she suffered significant brain damage. And so now at the start of our story, she is still kind of in the midst of her recovery. She lives under the very close watch of both a team of doctors and her very, very overprotective parents. But when a plague breaks out and the dead begin to rise, a la zombies, um, Sal flees from kind of this super secret place where her parents live, where she's so well protected and nothing can possibly hurt her. She teams up with this man that she has been interested in for a while, and together they set out to solve the great mystery of what is behind Symbogen really, and what is their overall goal in creating these tapeworms? Are the tapeworms really responsible for this plague? And if so, how can the human race survive? So this has some very, very vivid descriptions of worms. Yes. And it is, I think, the creepiest thing about this book is just hearing about the worms like in people's bodies. Um, I don't like bugs. I don't like worms. I don't like rodents. I don't like a lot of things. And this book just like made my skin crawl. And yet because it's Mira Grant, it was a book that I was just like glued to. There are three books in the series. They are all pretty long and very action-packed. And, you know, probably midway through the second book, I kind of stopped thinking about worms in quite the same way. Um, there is wonderful character development here, and it is just a fantastically fun but very disturbing apocalyptic romp. And it is Parasite, Parasitology, book one by Mira Grant. I love Mira oh, Grant. I'm going to yes. have to read these again for the third time. Oh, they're so oh, beautiful. They are. And just like are we worms. allowed to say that Amira Grant is Cena, Shannon McGuire? Yes. Shannon McGuire, yes. Yes. Do you guys know that I have literally waited my whole life for the last couple of years to get to talk about Sarah Lyons whole Fleming life for the last <laughs> couple of years. Okay. Well, it feels like my whole life. All I've ever <laughs> wanted to do is talk about Sarah Lyons Fleming. And today I get the chance to talk about Sarah Lyons Fleming and I'm trying I'm like, so jealous that not to fangirl too much. Um, let's talk about her. zombies y'all. <laughs> okay. okay. And like, some of the best, most amazing writing in the history of life when zombies are created is done, by, <laughs> is done by Sarah Lyons Fleming. And I'm going to be talking about the first book in her new series, yes, World Departed. Oh, I know. World Departed, Cascadia, book one. Yay. And this book loosely follows what ha happens in her other series until the end of the world and her city series when the first days of the apocalypse start and people get the born virus LX and begin turning into zombies. But this takes place on the West coast 
And oh, yeah, it, it takes does. place it takes place in beautiful Oregon. And it's fun to read about because I was just there last year training with my guide dog. And so when they mentioned certain places, I'm like, oh, I know what that is because I was there. But that's awesome. It is, yes, it is the story of Rose, who is 42, and she is getting ready to celebrate her 20th anniversary with her husband, who she really doesn't like anymore because Oof. of some, yes, because of some things that are going on that I can't tell you about. Um, oh. But she really um, struggles with A, hurting people's feelings, B, trying to kind of get out of this relationship because it's um, a pretty complicated situation. So Rose is going to have Wait, a 20th anniversary. and see, and see, keeping her kids' lives as stable as possible. Right? I was going to get I mean, there. Oh, I'm sorry. So I'm sorry. About the kids. <laughs> yes. She has two, two kids in college. Well, they're old enough. Ho Holly and Jesse. Yes, yes. But yeah. she's devoted her life to giving her kids a good life. And, and Rose worries about crazy things. Like if her kids got a paper cut and then it got infected and then this happened and then this happened, she's kind of a worrier. But in like such a wonderful way. Spirally. Just, well, yes, her worrying does spiral. But on the day that this book opens is the day that the born a virus LX is starting to sweep across the country. So in the beginning, Rose is out running errands, getting all the food, getting ready to get her karaoke machine because she loves karaokeing for her 20th anniversary party. So she gets home after um, some events involving her husband and her best friend gets here. And then her two children are there from college Oh, and they're good. really worried because this virus is kind of like not like a not like a joke and they see something on um like on YouTube or somewhere of like this San Francisco street and like these people that are like shambling and it's just really disconcerting and so um ruh -ruh. Yes, it's it's just very disconcerting. And so they're just trying to figure out, like, what is going on? At the same time that all of this is happening, we have another character, and his name is Tom. And his daughter is best friends. His daughter, Clara, is best friends with Rose's daughter. And they live kind of, like, across the woods from each other. So Tom sees some things on the news that concerns him and calls Clara at her university and says, you know, instead of driving up tomorrow for Rose, Rose's party, I really th would like you to come home tonight. And Clara is not very close with her father, but she agrees. So some events happen with Tom that I'm not going to go into and his wife. And when Clara gets home, from college, from her university, she finds a lot of things have been tilted on their head and it's very traumatizing. And Clara and Tom have to go to Rose's house. And so they all end up there and they're kind of waiting out like what's happening with the born virus LX, what is going on with these people and they're shambling and what's happening. So then while all this is happening, 
we have another character named Craig. And Craig is literally one of my most, well, all of Sarah Lyons Fleming's characters are my favorites. But Craig is probably one of my most favorite characters I've ever read about in a book. Because Craig is the, like, the third best friend in the trio of Rose and Michelle. Shell and Craig and Craig is in Oakland, I believe. And yes. he is absolutely terrified of everything. Like he needs to take a lot. He's very smart. He has like a hard, like a hard job, like a smart job, but he really needs a lot of Xanax to get it through his day. And he just does not cope well with many things. Doesn't like germs He's very like finicky clean and he gets trapped in his apartment because his neighbors in the hallway like are eating each other and he doesn't know what to do and he can't get to his best friends and he thinks he's going to die in his apartment. But things happen throughout the book and Craig in fact does not die in his apartment and with a group Good. of people. Yes, because you, you guys are just, I just love Craig. He's my and best friend. Yeah, I want I him to I, be. I want him to be my like, best friend. Like those also. book friend characters, you're like, why aren't you real? Right. Like that well, gay guy in um, Until the End of the World. Oh, really Nelly. Oh, Nelly. I love him. Oh, my God. Sarah Lyons Fleming just has a way of taking these people that could be like cliche characters and making them so three-dimensional and so like you just want to hang out with them. Like I want to spend the evening with Rose and 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 shell and and craig like karaokeing and like reading books and like laughing and i just i want to do this so much so it's just this book because i could really ramble about this for all night is told in several points of view so it's told in rose's point of view in craig's point of view in tom's point of view and in clara's point of view and it's so incredibly long and i know like i'm the first person that i'm like oh long book but if you already know Sarah Lyons Fleming, it's glorious how long this book is. It's gorgeously oh, long. Hours. It's just under 26 so hours. Excited. Of audio. But I it keep saving it for myself till I'm like, it's, in it the does perfect not drag. Mood. It does no. not drag. No, her it's books long never drag. No, and they don't complicated drag. and full of plot and beautiful writing and disgustingly disgusting zombies. And the way uh, she writes about zombies with such uh, attention to detail. Trigger warning I, for gore, maybe. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of gore. content warning. Yeah, um, there is some uh, a little bit of like slow burning romance, very 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 slow. Found family, lots of friendship. I could talk about this book all day. I finished it and literally started crying because I didn't know what to do and started over and read until the end of the world and the city series again for like the fourth time this year because I couldn't (laughs) but actually do you know what else I did after I read this book I didn't know what to do and that's when I discovered Kyla Stone and Kyla Stone she she doesn't write the same as Sarah Lyons Fleming but her writing is as good as Sarah Lyons Fleming so like it's it she really really soothed my soul so listen, friends, because I can talk about this all day. Please, if you love zombies and really rich characters, and if you're tired of reading zombie books where everybody's 22, pick up World Departed Cascadia series number one by the amazing, the incomparable, like, incomparable Sarah Lyons Fleming. So my last book is not about zombies or what? about 
tapeworms or about mushrooms or <laughs> about dilapidated about homes or ghosts. It is kind anything. of about dilapidated homes, isn't it? Uh, well, I guess you could call it that, but I wouldn't say so. Okay. And the only, the only, it's honestly a psychological thriller. And the only reason I'm mentioning a psychological thriller is because it really creeped me out. And books about this type of thing always creep me out. But I can't tell you why, because I would spoil, like, the entire plot. All I can say is that I didn't see it coming. So this book is called The Other Misses by Mary Kubica. So I, I guess it does have a goth slang to it, because it's about, this is about Sadie and Will Faust. Um, they moved from Ch- Chicago to a small town in Maine. And, you know, they're trying to start a new life because they have been having some marriage trouble. You know, I love books about marriage trouble. Goods, the ones with happy endings and the ones with not happy endings is fine with me. Always have. And as soon as they moved into this small town, their neighbor, Morgan Danes, is found dead in their home. And, of course, this rocks the whole island because it's a very small town. But no one is more shaken than Sadie about this murder. I mean, Sadie is completely, completely on edge about this, really, really disturbed about this murder in a way that's not normal. And it's not just the murder that has her on edge, but, you know, since they're the new family in town, the eyes of suspicion really start turning on them. And meanwhile, Sadie is drawn deeper into the mess of what really happened that um, dark and deadly night. And the worst part is that the more she discovers about her neighbor, the more she begins to realize maybe just how much she might have to lose if the truth ever comes to light about what happened. And I, I, I wish I could say more. I know I hear, I'm listening to myself like, oh, you said, this is like boring. But if I said anything else, I would completely ruin the plot. But this book hooked me from the first page. Mary, Mary Kubica can be kind of like hit and miss for me. And I think Shannon would agree. I would agree with that. Like, um, you know, her book, The Last Lie, like really made me mad. Okay. Um, <laughs> so it, it infuriated me not as much as the book for two ways of two ways sorry jody but um it, it made me mad because it was like all this and nothing you know really but th- this book i i didn't i didn't see it coming and it, it's just you know the things that happened to her are very very scary and and have no explanation and we get multiple points of view and i i just couldn't not recommend it but because it was a thriller it's a thriller you know you can't can't talk about a thriller you just gotta take a chance so take a take a chance that the other misses is all the creep meter you're looking for by mary kubica kubica and i hope that you enjoy it as much as i did because man i i didn't stop thinking about it after i was done so my personal favorites by her are pretty baby and when the lights go out Oh, yes, when the lights go out is good. And I keep sort of looking for her to write something as good as those again. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't happen, and it doesn't happen, and it doesn't happen. And I feel sort of consistently disappointed. And yet, I keep reading her. So I don't know what to say. She's kind of irresistible. Her synopsis are good. Yes, they are. 
And that brings us to the end of a collection of spooky books for your reading pleasure or terror. Thank you to Natalia, Stacy, and Sarah for joining me tonight to talk about all manner of creepy books. Thanks, as always, to Christine for all of the fantastic editing that she puts into each of these episodes. And thank you so much to all of you who join us as we talk about the books that we love and sometimes even books that we don't. If you would like to let us know your thoughts, you can do that by leaving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform you use to access the show. And not only does it allow us to see your feedback, but it also helps other book lovers to find us, which is a great thing. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with more bookish fabulousness. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more discussion of great books. Take care, everybody.